I think we're live. Hello, I'm Aaron Schatz. I'm your host for Football Outsiders Live. We are coming to you live now on YouTube every day at 1 p.m. Eastern. And uh, Mondays, we review the weekend games and we preview Monday Night Football. So we broadcast live every day during the week, live at 1 p.m. All of our shows are available afterwards on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app under the title Football Outsiders Podcast Network. We are also simulcasting on Twitch and Facebook and Twitter and apparently LinkedIn, which a lot of people use and I never do. So hello to all of you watching on LinkedIn. Uh, with me today to review week four's NFL slate of games is Ian O'Connor, senior data analyst at Edge Sports. How was your week four, Ian? It was good. There wasn't really as much excitement as we've had uh, in the last few weeks, at least from the games I was watching. It seems like that uh, winless Jets and, and Titans game uh, was the most excitement that, that I had going on in the day. But outside of the NFL, it was good to see uh, my Kentucky Wildcats in college finally beat Florida at home. So it's been a good start to the season for them as well. So overall, pretty good weekend of football action. I went uh, five and zero oh in my ESPN best bets. So thank well you to the Edge Sports app for helping me pick three unders that hit. It was a very which which were guy. those? What'd you say? Which ones were those? Uh, let's see: uh, Browns Vikings under, um, Ravens Broncos under, and Texans Bills under. Yep, the Browns and Browns Vikings was one that kind of surprised me when I was looking at it. But doing our our betting preview last week said, you know, there's two two top ten offenses, but still don't be surprised to see them come under. It, I think I mentioned to you last week too. We're looking at some things that the second half, both teams' defenses were were much better than in the first half, and I think most of the scoring came in the first half in that one. And it was pretty quiet the second half, so that was a good one. We we did pretty well there. Uh, before we dive into recapping the biggest plays from week four and some of the most impactful plays, I want to remind everyone that we'll have this show for you available every Monday throughout the NFL season. Be sure if you are joining us live to chat with us and ask questions, click that subscribe button on whatever platform you're choosing to view us on. And uh, we're going to have great football content coming your way every day. And my script uh, repeats here everything I already just said. So I'm not going to say it again. Let's dive into a week four recap instead. Now, before we talk about win probability, we have to talk about a game where win probability was <clears throat> never in question. And that is the Buffalo Bills 40, Houston 0. Because this turned out to be the best defensive game in DVOA history. Wow. Yeah. Um, five turnovers for the Texans, plus a fumble that they recovered themselves. Um, and in today's ridiculously high offensive environment, like this was a, just a colossal, ridiculously bad offensive game. The Bills had a minus 134.6% defensive DVOA. Now, our opponent adjustments are only at 40% right now. So you might say, okay, well, you're not fully adjusting for the Texans. What happens if you fully adjust for the Texans? If you fully adjust for the Texans, it comes out as minus 127.4 
which is still the best defensive game ever. It narrowly beats a 1989 week one game where the Browns beat the Steelers 51 to nothing. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Almost as unbelievable as the Browns beating beating the Steelers 51 to nothing, but... The Bills uh, have the third best off, uh, third best defense that we have ever measured through four weeks. So that's uh, paired, paired with that offense too. That's a it's a pretty scary team. Bills Chiefs I mean, next week is going to be awesome, and probably will be talked about on this show next Monday uh, when it comes to in-game decisions a lot more than last. Uh, yesterday's Bills-Texans game will be talked about because uh, there's really not a lot of in-game decision-making to discuss when you beat a team 40 to nothing. Yeah. And one one thing to note, though, we'll give some credit there, is that I know I think David Coley had a pretty good decision early on in that game to go for it on fourth down. We kind of hammered him a couple weeks ago, but he knew what he was in for. Uh, so I didn't really see a ton of that game, to be honest, because at, at some point in the second quarter, I think there really was no win probability. You said to be added or lost, um, but he made a good fourth down decision early in the game, so it was good to see him at least trying there. Yeah, field goals are not going to beat the Bills when you lose forty to nothing. No. Nope. Um, all right, let's talk about Sunday Night Football, the most anticipated homecoming on record. Tom Brady returning to Foxborough to face Bill Belichick and the Patriots. The game was a lot closer than anticipated, especially given I was shocked that the Patriots played basically a cover one defense the whole game, man coverage against those great Tampa Bay Buccaneers receivers and covered them really close. Brady was missing guys. I don't know whether the the ball was slipping a little bit because of the rain or whether it was his nerves, but he was high on a number of passes. But in the end, the Bucs actually beat the Patriots when uh, they went to kick a field goal and Nick Falk clanged a 56-yarder off the Mm -hmm. upright. And the Patriots were competitive for most of the game, but there were a couple of really big errors in this one that sunk their chances. So tell me about the things that Edge Sports saw in this game as far as Belichick's decisions. Yeah, and starting with the pregame, you mentioned it was closer than most anticipated. This was a game that we actually uh, talked about in our our betting preview Um, on Thursday. Looking at this, we had this closer to like a three-point spread, I think, compared to seven or eight points in the market. So we thought this one would be – Pretty close, and it was. And it came down to some important decisions that had to be made that there were some costly errors. So the final drive of the game, Patriots had third and three with just over a minute remaining in the game. Mac Jones's pass was incomplete, which cost them 28% in win probability. This came out to be our fourth most impactful play of the weekend. And part of this decrease can be explained by the decision that came on the next play. So they committed a kind of a double whammy. They elected to go for the field goal down two with only 59 seconds remaining in the game, this decision decreased the Patriots' pre-snap win probability by 10.2%. So the way that, that our impactful plays work is it looks at, or most win probability models, looks at the pre-snap win probability based on the play call, and then the pre-snap win probability based on the next play call. So if Belichick would have chosen to go for it, this would have only been about an 18% win probability decrease on that third down and completion, but because he chose to kick the field goal, they've got 10% less on that following play. So that was just a huge play calling error that not only gave them uh, a big error in our worst decisions, but also propped them up to, to the biggest, fourth biggest, most impactful play of the weekend that negatively impacted them. 
So couldn't be redeemed. Like you said, Nick Folk missed the kick, clanged off the upright there. Uh, wasn't able to get a nice bounce. Uh, didn't get it the right way that Justin Tucker did last week. Just went right off the face of that left upright. Uh, missed it. Cost them the rest of their win probability. They were at 31.9% before that kick. And ultimately, that cost them the game. It was the second most impactful play of week four, that 31.9% drop on the missed field goal. And, and you have to point out, the, why was the Patriots' win probability only at 31.9% when they were about to go ahead? Yeah, and that's – you look at it, you know, they've still got a minute left. You're looking at Tom Brady on the other side. The Buccaneers still have two timeouts left. All they need is a field goal to – to win that game. And like we saw in, I think it was week one, he had a minute 24 and no timeouts left against the Cowboys, marched right down the field and they won the game. So it's something you've got to, you definitely have to account for. And we looked at it this morning, Frank, um, one of our co-founders, Frank Frigo wrote at a little addendum um, in our risky business, his risky business column and went over that looking at, you know, based on the fourth and three probability of conversion, as well as the conversion on that field goal, or the increased conversion rate on the field goal if you're able to convert fourth down and move. Compared to you know, Tom Brady on the other side, what are his chances of leading a game-winning drive? Even in the rain, you know, a minute, pretty much a minute left, I think it would have been around 55 seconds and two timeouts to get 40, 45 yards maybe at, for a, a decent field goal there. Yeah, if you convert the fourth and three, you take the rest of the time off the clock and you get a better field goal opportunity. Yeah. versus even if you get the field goal, which you're not sure you're going to get because it's really long, you're giving Tom Brady enough time to come back. It's a, it was a big error. Um, interesting, the Patriots actually ended up with the higher DVOA for this game, 10% versus minus 16 for Tampa Bay. Uh, Post-game win expectancy, which is my formula that figures out you know, you know, based on the DVOA splits in this game, how likely is it that each team would win? Says the Patriots would have won this game 57% of the time. So, yes, and SF Vanderpool points out, Tampa Bay probably still would have somehow come back to win even if they hit the field goal. But if they hit the field goal with time expiring, Tampa Bay could not come back to win. So that's yeah. another reason why they should have gone for the fourth and three. Uh, lots of attention on the Patriots, but there was another AFC East team that had a few interesting plays. Believe it or not, it was the JETS New York Jets. They needed overtime, got their first win of the season against the Titans from the pitiful AFC South. And this game was actually yep. full of impactful plays and impactful calls. Take it away, Ian. Yeah, despite the win, Robert Sala had a few bad calls late in this game that could have led to them not getting that first win. Starting the third quarter, the Jets faced a fourth and one on their own 29-yard line, chose to punt instead of attempting to go for it down by two, which resulted in a 5.1% win probability loss. This is one we hear, you know, we're not going to beat a dead horse on this one. Fourth and one, one yard, your odds of converting that are just so much greater than what people expect. You know, a lot of times it's close to over, over 60% a lot of times. Um, you know, your own 29, so it's one yard you need to get there. So. That one was a 5.1% win probability loss. Moving forward, fast forward to the overtime, and this is one that everyone saw. The Jets' final drive, they had third and goal at the one-yard line, had a chance to win the game. Zach Wilson scrambled, looked more to me like a designed run. Um, I don't think he had a single receiver out there. I believe the officially that the league tagged it as a run, not as a scramble. Okay, yeah, I didn't because I – 
looking at it, it didn't seem like he even had any receivers over there. And, and they had, uh, I forget who it was for Tennessee, but that stayed home on that one, was able to push him out and made a mistake instead of throwing it away, took a three-yard loss on the play. Huge execution error cost the Jets 30.4% win probability, which comes in at number three. Again, like with the New England one, part of this drop is attributed to what happened on the next play. Coach Shala choosing to take the field goal or attempt the field goal instead of going for it, even on fourth and goal at the four-yard line, elected to go with the field goal, which they made but was still an error. Pre-snap difference between going for it and attempting the field goal was 13.1%, which was our largest error of the weekend. And this is something I looked at in a little bit more in depth today. Even you know, on the field goal, they were at 55% prior to the field goal. Um, they're 50% they were assuming half a win as a tie or accounting for a tie as half of a win. If they go for it and they convert, it's a touchdown, they win the game. They're at 100%. If they don't get it, Tennessee is still first and 10 at their own four-yard line. They're backed up in their own territory. New York Jets would still be at 48, almost 49% win probability. Even if they fail on fourth down, required conversion rate came out to like 12% on that. So one out of 10 times, if you, all you need to, to do is convert that one out of 10 times, which is well below what you would expect the team to convert in that situation. So this one was a clear go, huge error. Like I said, the number one error of the weekend. Ultimately yeah, I, it would be the points. Yep. I was going to say, I'm shocked that Wilson didn't just throw the ball away because you cannot mm. take, you cannot oh. take that loss. You, you, even if you had an illegal man downfield, if you threw the ball away and you took a five yard penalty, like that's about the same as taking the loss in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like you at least had to try to throw it away. I, I, right. I just bad uh, awareness on his part. Yeah. And it just like, I think they asked Sal after the game. I'm sure they did. He was planning to go for it if they didn't get it on fourth and goal, I heard, which would have been, I think, closer to at that point, like 24%, which would have been the best decision um still would have been the best decision but almost double double that at fourth and goal at the one so yeah i agree it was was very surprised to see him hang on to that ball and go out of bounds um so ultimately they, they got the win but it came down to a missed field goal uh by the the titans that converted two i think two fourth downs on that drive with derrick henry 19 seconds left randy bullock missed the field goal which dropped them from 35.8% down to zero, obviously, which was our most impactful play of the week. But if if they could have gone for it, you know, it might not have even come down to that for the, the Jets. But they were able to get it out. Hopefully they, they can learn from that next time. But And 35.8% win probability. I mean, you're basically coming down from 50 there, not from 100, mm -hmm. because, you know, they kick that field goal. The Jets have the ball with like 10 seconds left. Yeah. That game probably ends with a tie. Yeah, most likely. And we, we kind of were discussing here in the office today, too. You know, even if you you don't or if you're going for it, you're the Jets. You don't get it. Like we said, they're still close to pretty much favored to tie in that game. Does Tennessee play it a little bit more conservatively and play for the tie because they are backed up? Don't want to take a risk of well, at that turnover. Point, it, at that point, a, a field goal wins the game. So they're playing for yeah. the field goal at that point. Yeah, but be, being backed up, you know, they may not play for the field goal, but they may also not risk it as much and say, you know, we've got got a tie in our pocket at this point, you know, if we can get some plays and get down. But it, it's just more, it kind of gets into that behavioral aspect of what you think they're going to do on the other side. But but going for it was definitely the right call there. Uh, paid off playing the results, it paid off, but we don't play the results. So <laughs> that was a big error. All right, let's talk about the five most impactful play from the weekend's games from Edge Sports. 
for our audience, these are the plays that had the most impact on the game in terms of win probability, either positive or negative. And we've kind of gone through most of these already, actually. Uh, but we haven't gone through number five yet. Yeah, a lot of negative um, on this list. Looking at it, like we said, I've said before, we always look at it from the offense's perspective. Number five was the one that actually was good for the offense. So the Giants were down three, their late game drive against the Saints trailing 21-18. They had third and seven on their own 38. Even if they don't get it, it's an obvious go situation on fourth down. They were able to get a pass uh, to Kenny Galladay, 28 yards to the New Orleans 34. They were able to, to run that clock down a little bit, get the field goal to force overtime, went on to win that game in overtime on the first drive. Both New York teams won in overtime. But this play, that, that completion on third and long, increased the Giants' win probability by 23.5%, from 25.2 up to 48.7, again with uh, a tie counting as half a win at 50% there. Like you said, we covered – I was going to say the Saints-Giants, just to point out, is another game where the wrong team won, according to DVOA. In fact, the post-game win expectancy says the Saints should win a game with these splits 85% of the time. But it doesn't matter uh, what the stats say. What matters is did yeah. you win? And they didn't. Was that the highest this week? Yes. Uh, well, that was yeah. the highest for a team that actually lost. I mean, the for highest team that lost, week. Right. Was, uh, you know, the Bills had like a 99.9999% chance of wow. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was no chance. I think we had that like 86% before the game um, for, for the Bills. But, yeah, that Saints game, that does not surprise me because watching, you know, seeing didn't watch the whole game, but going back and forth, kind of trying to keep track of all of them like I normally do, just seemed like the Giants had no business even being in that game. Joe Judge, after his comments last week, still made some errors, was – Kind of sucks that he was able to come out with the win, maybe, um, you know, not kind of not facing the criticism. He probably should or as much of it after that game um, and after his comments last week. But that's not going to work out for him every single week. So we'll see how, how that goes moving forward. But moving on, like you said, we've covered these last four come from the Titans, Jets, Patriots, Bucks teams. Number four was the Patriots, uh, that third down play where Mac Jones's pass was incomplete going from third and three to fourth and three, and then the error to kick the field goal in the next play dropped them from 59.9% down to 31.9. It's a drop of 28%. The Jets tied, again, third and goal at the Tennessee one. Wilson uh, takes the loss of three there. That dropped them by 30.4% from 85.4 down to 55 on the dot. Number two is the Patriots down two. The field goal we mentioned, Nick Folk's kick, that's no good, was 31.9% decrease. And then the Randy Bullock kick, like I just mentioned, was a decrease of 35.8% for the Titans in that one. So those are the top impactful plays of week four brought to you by Edge Sports. Now let's talk about best decisions from the coaches. These are decisions coaches made that had the most positive impact on the game in terms of win probability. Let's start with number five. Yeah, no, so number five goes all the way back to Thursday night. Jaguars, Bengals tied at 14 late in the third quarter. Jacksonville faced fourth and two at the Cincy 38. Chose to go for it in this situation, which Urban Meyer doesn't show up on our worst decisions, uh, but he did have a bad decision late choosing to punt, and the Bengals ended up going down. We now kicking the field goal to win that game. But in this situation, he went for it, increased the Jaguars' win probability by 3.7% from 42 – over 38.3 when kicking a field goal, attempting a long field goal in that situation. Urban made number some bad decisions after the game also. 
Oh, I had heard about some of that here in the <laughs> office. I hadn't seen. I still haven't seen any of that. I thought that was some old news, but sounds like that that happened this weekend then or Thursday. Yeah. So moving on now to number four, Cowboys Panthers. Cowboys Panthers tied at seven. Mike McCarthy just shy of midfield on his own 46-yard line, just a minute remaining in the first quarter. Fourth and one, set the Dallas 46, chooses to go for it. This is kind of a no-brainer these days. Uh, more often than not, you're going to see coaches go for those fourth and ones around midfield. Not always, but in this situation, McCarthy chooses. Dak Prescott was able to get 21 yards on this one. Increased their pre-snap win probability by 4.2% up to 65.3% versus 61.2 on a or 61.1 on a punt there near midfield. Number three, this guy shows up on our or on our top five best and worst decisions this week. It's the first year coach Arthur Smith in Atlanta, leading 23-22 late in the third quarter at the Washington 42, kind of like I've mentioned on here before we're talking about kind of in that no man's land, but at fourth and two, you got to go for it. And that's what he did. It was a 4.4% pre-snap increase. And this was when Matt Ryan got sacked. There was a roughing the passer call on this that that paid off. Um, this one, I think, from what I saw, could have gone either way, that penalty. But the Falcons benefited, were able to get the, the first down there via penalty. Increased their win probability after the snap by about 11%. But that pre-snap increase was 4.4% at number three. So number two is Washington football team, Ron Rivera, Riverboat Ron. Although he, he doesn't really live up to that name as much here lately in some of these games and some of these decisions we've seen from him. But this uh, in this case, yesterday he did. Trailing three to nothing early in the game, early in the second quarter, fourth and one at the Atlanta 36-yard line, chooses to go for it. They didn't convert on this one. Uh, Antonio Gibson was stopped, got no gain on this. But the decision to go for it was correct. More often than not, like we said, you're going to convert. You're going to get a, a one-yard gain. But this was a 4.6% pre-snap increase in pre-snap win probability. And then coming in at number one is a guy a couple of weeks ago we hammered on. Had a bad game against, I think it was the Arizona game. But this week, opening drive, Mike Zimmer and the, the Vikings marched down the field. They went 75 yards and scored on this drive. Fourth and one at the Cleveland nine instead of settling for a field goal. Chose to go for it for a 5.3% pre-snap increase in win probability. They converted because they went on to score the touchdown. Unfortunately for the Vikings, that was the only points of the day that they scored in a loss. But but Zimmer takes home the number one decision of the week this week at 5.3%. A rather smaller uh, increase to be our number one, but just kind of goes to show a lot of a lot of teams weren't really in situations this week like we've seen. We saw with John Harbaugh late in the game a couple weeks ago, and other teams made big errors, as we'll get to in just a moment. Yeah, I was going to say, to me, the biggest thing is what would have been the best decisions turned into the biggest errors. So let's talk about the uh, five worst decisions, the big blunders that had a negative impact on win probability. Yeah, so starting at number five is uh, the 49ers' Kyle Shanahan sitting tied at seven. This is early in the, the third quarter, early in the second half. I think this was probably that opening drive of the second half. Fourth and three at their own 47 Chooses to punt. It costs him 4.2%. This is one, you know, like we've talked about, you're in that midfield area. Is the field position really worth it? He ended up punting 37 yards. It's just, it's not worth what you can get if you're able to convert with three yards, which you would think they should. Trey Lance was in at this point, which kind of opens things up for them a lot, it seems, with his rushing ability um, as well. You know, may not be able to, to as good of a passer right now as they have had with Garoppolo, who's been pretty good this year. 
so far, but having just the threat of him to run, which he did on multiple times, especially late in the game, converting that fourth down when they were kind of in desperation mode, was a fourth and 10, was able to rush and run the ball and convert. This one, a fourth and three near midfield, was a 4.2% error. Number four, going back to the Jets game, this was when we mentioned it at the top of the show, trailing by two, fourth and one at your own 29. Again, don't want to be a dead horse on these. You know, you're in your own territory, but it's one yard. You know, if, if you, you should be able to get that an NFL team, you know, on any given play, a one yard gain is not a good gain. You're, you're disappointed if you only get one yard, but that just shows, you know, a lot of times you're able to get that. Like we've said up to 60, you know, in the 60% a lot of times. So this one cost the Jets 5.2%, so 1% more than what, what Shanahan had there at number five. Number three, we talked about uh, Bill Belichick coming in with that field goal attempt at the end of the game, 10.1% drop in pre-snap win probability on that fourth and three. Like we mentioned, even if you make that field goal, you're probably about 50% to lose anyway with Tom Brady on the other side. Two timeouts, a minute left. That's a lot of time for, for a guy like that and an offense like that to get down the field just needing a field goal. Number two, I mentioned Arthur Smith showed up on our best decisions. He also shows up on our worst decisions. This decision is one, it's in their own territory. It's not a fourth and one. So this is one, it's late in the game that would probably, and we've gotten criticism on these types of decisions in the past, but it's defensible. The Falcons were up to face fourth and four at their own 31-yard line with two minutes left in the game. They still have all three of their timeouts. Washington has two timeouts left. So this situation, you go for it. If you get it, you can run run the clock down. They're going to use their timeouts, but you are still able to run about half that time down if you don't get another first down even. If you don't get it, you're still looking at probably about a minute 55 left in the game. Washington only needs a field goal. In these situations, we see so many teams play it conservatively. They're already, you know, at a fairly manageable field goal at that point, you know, mid-50s. Um, they're in the dome there in Atlanta. Atlanta can use all their timeouts. You know, best case scenario, they can get the ball back a minute 20 left, down only one point. Worst case scenario, they score a touchdown. They take all the time. They lose. That's what happened anyway. Washington uh, went down. Uh, they punted, was able to to get uh, to score. I don't think actually they got the two point conversion. They ended up getting the no, ball they back. The late. Conversion, so yeah, yeah, it got the ball back late in the game and were able to win it. So you want to leave the ball in in your your best player's hands. You don't want to punt that ball away and give you know the other team the chance to go on the offensive and and go down and score. Um, so this one ended up being a thirteen percent error coming in just behind the number one we talked about, Robert Sala's decision there on fourth and goal uh, at minus thirteen point one percent. Yeah, which, I mean, would have been a big, even bigger error if it had been fourth and goal from the one instead of from the four. But just teams just need to – they depend on their defenses rather than depending on their offenses. Like, you can trust your offense to convert a lot of times more than you can trust your defense to hold back the other team. Yeah, and that Washington defense in that game, they have not been what anyone has expected them to be this year. They, I think they're in, what, the bottom eight oh, in DVOA. Yeah, their defense so far in uh, DVOA is 28th. Yeah. And the Tennessee as well, in the Jets game, the Titans have been, the last few years have not been good. That's, you know, the offense hasn't really been defense. there this year. The Titans but. are 26th. So, like, why are you trusting your defense? Yeah, you. I mean, you, 
your, your offense, like you said, is more likely to convert than to trust your defense to make stops there. So just a couple of decisions, you know, you could could make, you know, we, we'll have people that will disagree, like I mentioned, with the Arthur Smith one, a fourth and four. But you've got to you've got to consider the time if you don't get it. Like I said, there a lot of times those teams down two just need to field goal, play it more conservatively because they don't want to give the but the Giants did it against Washington, played a little conservatively, kicked the field goal. Washington went down and got the field goal. So just going for it, teams so often I think underestimate what their chances are of converting um, in those situations, and they let it come down to to just that one play. They don't really plan for it on the third downs either, where they if they've got a third and five, you know they look at it as we've got to get all five yards unless you're in kind of those obvious situations instead of saying if we can get three you know they're only expecting a, you know they're expecting us to go for the full five if we can kind of come up short and give us a manageable fourth and one you know we're going to go for that so you get two plays to go for it yep people yeah teams need to think more about getting two plays to get the yards rather than one play uh, that wraps up the worst decisions of the week. If you're interested in seeing more about these plays, check out the top five section on edgesports.com and read Risky Business by Frank Frigo, who this week highlights Joe Judge and his anti-analytics approach and how it is costing the Giants this season, even yeah, though and they he, didn't win yesterday. And Frank also added a little bit in there, uh, going a little bit deeper, like I mentioned earlier, um, not having all the numbers on me, but into that Belichick decision to show just how strong of a, a go that was. Um, so that is on there as well, in addition to, to the Joe Judge analysis. Uh, let's wrap up this week's show with a little bit of preview of Monday Night Football. This is the Las Vegas Raiders and the Los Angeles Chargers, two teams that DVOA does not like as much as their records. Um, the line is currently uh, Chargers by three. And I hope you were able to get money on this when it was Chargers by three and a half because we like Vegas in this game to cover, but I sure like them a lot better at three and a half than at three because then you get that Chargers win by field goal, you would get a win. But uh, that's no longer the case because now the line is three. Um, the Vegas pass rush has been very good this year, but only 26th at adjusted sack rate. I think that's sort of interesting. They're bringing pressure, but not necessarily getting home. The Raiders' offense is ninth passing, but a dismal 30th rushing. Uh, but the Chargers' defense has the same strength and weakness. They're 15th against the pass and 31st against the run. So this is a fun little uh, resistible force versus movable object uh, when it comes to the Raiders on the ground in this game. Ian, what are you thinking about this matchup? Tell me what the Edge Sports model has to say. Yeah, we're sitting there. We've... Kind of like you, we favor the, the Raiders. Seems like every game this week we favor the Raiders, or uh, this season, sorry. Starting in week one, we like them straight up a little bit over the Ravens. Week two against Pittsburgh, we like them to cover the spread. Uh, last week was the same. And they, they keep winning this week. We're higher on them again versus the market. Like you said, this game is at minus three in favor of the Chargers. We see this as closer to a one-point spread in favor of the Chargers. So at that three-point mark, you know, we like the – the Raiders to push or cover 51% of the time, or sorry, to cover 51% of the time, to push or cover 58% of the time. So we're sitting at, at Los Angeles to win by a field goal or less, or the Raiders to win 58% of the time. As far as straight up, we've got Las Vegas at 46% win probability. The market, last I checked, they were around 40 to 41. Um, so a little bit of value there. You can get a little bit of a discount uh, based on what we actually see this as. 
And then the over under, we the, the market has this pretty high at 51 and a half. We see it even higher. We're at a 57 point fair value total. So looking at this game to go over 51% or 51 points, 65.2% of the time. So in almost two thirds of our simulations, we like this game to go over that 51 and a half point total. And then looking just at the, what we've got here, looking at the public money, 64% of the bets are on the chargers, but only 51% of the money. Um, so a slight edge there uh, comparing those two maybe for Vegas. And like I said, we, we like the Raiders both against the spread and a little bit better to win this one straight up this week as well. Yep. I am in agreement with you there. I, you know, the chargers just don't, do really well. They didn't do well in the preseason DVOA projections, and even their actual rating through three games is not as good as you would think it would be because they beat a they beat the Chiefs, but the Chiefs themselves haven't been as good as you know they usually are because their defense has been so terrible. So, you know, what did we really learn about the Chargers' offense from the fact that they could score against the Chiefs? Not much, really. Uh, that wraps up the week four recap show. Make sure you go to Edge Sports and check out their analysis from week four on edgesports.com. Download the Edge Sports app to get your betting preview for Monday Night Football and every matchup this season. You can head over to footballoutsiders.com to read uh, Mike Tanier's Monday recap, getting you uh, all set for the Bills Cardinals Super Bowl that we know is now inevitable. And Audible's at the line as well. And uh, we'll have up uh, one foot in bounds reviewing the weekend in college football later today. Tune in tomorrow at 1 o'clock to hear Scott Spratt and Derek Klassen discuss players to target on the waiver wire for your fantasy teams. And again, we are live on YouTube every day at 1 o'clock with some combination of me, Mike Tanier, Scott Spratt, and more Football Outsiders folks. You can find this show uh, on footballoutsiders.com and the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Remember, though, if you want to interact with us and actually chat with us during the show, you can only do that on the live streams. So please make sure you check out the live streams, 1 o'clock Eastern every day, now at YouTube at the Football Outsiders page on YouTube. All right, Ian, thank you so much for coming on the show today, and we will talk again next week. And uh, for all of the listeners, I hope you'll check out Scott, uh, Scott Spratt's show tomorrow. And I will see you again Wednesday at 1 o'clock with Mike Tanier. So uh, enjoy Monday Night Football, everybody. Thanks for having me.